Hey, welcome to Coastal Community Church's online ministry. We are so thankful that you're making uh, this online ministry a part of your spiritual journey. And uh, we uh, want this sermon to encourage you and to help you grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ. However, at Coastal, we have a, a deep conviction that uh, every Christian should be a part of a local church. And so while we want to encourage you with this online ministry, we hope it's a part of your, your walk, your journey with Christ, we do want to encourage you to be in a local church. And so if you're on the peninsula and you don't have a local church, we would love to invite you to, to our location. Uh, we have two services. We meet at 101 Village Avenue uh, in Yorktown. We have two service times, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out Coastal Community Church in person and, and worship with us corporately. The second thing is I want to introduce our sermon series for the fall. Um, we're doing a sermon series called Distorted, and we believe that uh, sin and, and just the busyness of life sometimes distorts all that God has for us. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to really dive into the scriptures and, and talk about how we have distorted what God's best is for us and remind us how the person and work of Christ makes all that clear uh, as we uh, investigate the gospel of Christ, the word of God, and, and reminding us of the truths of God so that our lives are no longer distorted and we walk in the fullness of all that the Lord has for us. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. It is great to see you this morning. Do me a favor, get out your bulletin. Follow along with me. I tell you what, wasn't that an, isn't that an amazing song? And uh, I, I was about to turn my mic on and join with the choir, right? It would have been the great oh no, though, had I done that. Um, and so this morning, I'm going to be honest, like this morning's a sensitive topic, okay? It's PG-13, as Pastor Jeff already kind of reminded us. And as we were singing that song, I thought... You know, it's easy to celebrate, the music's pumping, you're with the, with the congregation, you're singing, but we have to be reminded that in this area of sex and sexuality, it is the great I am who has the final say, right? And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to talk about what does the Bible have to say about sex and sexuality? So I'm going to be frank, I'm going to try to be tender and sensitive. I know this is a culturally sensitive subject. I do want you to know that this series has been building on itself. So if you're coming in the middle of the series, let me encourage you to kind of go online and listen to the first two messages because that really leads us this morning. In fact, the next two weeks, you're probably going to think I, I went from preaching to meddling a little bit, okay? Uh, and I really intended to do that because I wanted you to see how week one and two apply to some very real cultural issues uh, in, in the world in which we live, okay? So PG-13, we're talking about sex and sexuality this morning. If you, I know a lot of times as parents, you, you bring your kids in here. Uh, I'm going to leave it up to you if you want them to stay and hear this, okay? That's you and your family's decision. And so I'm going to pray over the message, and uh, it's twofold. One, to make sure we're communicating clearly the Word of God, and, and two, as a parent, if you want to say, you know what, I think I may check my kid into the, uh, into the children's ministry, fifth grade and under. We have a check-in back there, and, um, and we can go ahead and do that. I tell you what, Bethany, I'm going to ask you to make sure we have check-in people, okay, while I'm praying. So let's do that, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you are the great I am. Who is like thee? And the answer is no one. There's none beside you. Your, your word stands eternal. It's not swayed by culture. It's not swayed by man's thoughts. It is your word that will stand through all eternity, because you're the great I am. That was the only language that you could give us to describe yourself. And so, Heavenly Father, with this morning, as we dive into your word, we, we want to bow a knee in humility. We want to recognize it as truth. 
And we want to recognize both where the church has failed and where the church can stand on truth. And so this morning, God, I pray that you'll awaken our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit to truth and adjust our lives to truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is an area of great consternation in our culture, both in the world out there and in the church in here. And so what I'm not sure of from time to time when it comes to sex and sexuality is if it's a matter of information. Maybe, maybe, I don't, maybe you're here this morning you don't know the Word of God, so you're not sure what is true and, and what's a lie. And so I'm going I'm to give you the truth of the Word of God in the area of sex and sexuality. But it could be, it could be that you know the truth and yet you're still choosing as a believer, as a Christian, to walk in disobedience. And so I'm going to challenge that as well. Is a sensitive subject. I, I remember when my kids were much younger, probably my two boys were probably about four and six years old, and we were riding in my car, and uh, we pulled up behind a Jeep that had a bumper sticker that said sex wax, all right? And so for those of you who don't know, sex wax is, is a product that you put on your surfboard to give you more grip when you're surfing. My six-year-old, of course, is learning to read, we're sitting behind a light. It's in a light. It's a traffic light. And this tight light is taking an uncomfortably long time, right? And so I'm like, please turn, please turn, please turn, you know. And so finally, as the light turns, my son calls out, my six-year-old. I know what that says. <laughs> I said, know what what says, son? That sign, he said. And so I point over to the McDonald's. I said, that sign over there, you know. No, the one on that car. I know what that means, he says. I said, you do? What does it mean? He goes, well, it's bad, right? And so at that point, my four-year-old starts to go, what? What word, Dad? What word? And it just spirals, right, you know? And, I, and so I began to think, like, who told him that word was bad? I never told him that word was bad. I've completely avoided it for six years is what I've done, you know. And, and so, you know, I did what any spiritual leader in their home would do. I said, you wait till you get home and you ask your mother, you know. That's, that's how I handled that with a bunch of young children. Here's my point. I mean, who, who told my son it was bad? In fact, one of the distortions of the church is we've kind of made sex and sexuality to kind of be this bad topic, and I don't know where that comes from. By the way, did you know that God is the designer of the sexes, and God is the designer of sexual intimacy? It's not a shock to him. He made it, all right? And he never called it bad. Now, he gave it boundaries, but he didn't say it was a bad thing. It was God's thing from the beginning, and God, by the way, in Genesis called it a good thing. This is God's good thing. Sexuality and sex is God's good thing. Now, Pastor Andrew, again, we've been building this series, did a great job on marriage. And we're, there's going to be a little bit of overlap this week. I would really encourage you, if you missed last week, to listen to last, last week's sermon on, on marriage. And, and, and he really unpacked some of these passages we're even going to look at this morning. There was only one time in the Garden of Eden, which is paradise, where everything's perfect, that God said not good, okay? And it wasn't in regards to sex and sexuality. It was in regards to the lack of companionship. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, God creates woman 
from the rib of Adam. And Adam says, at last, Adam exclaims, she's part of my own flesh and bone. She he called woman because she has taken out of man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. Fascinating, right? I mean, sex and sexuality is God's idea. It wasn't to be a shameful idea. It was physical intimacy that was created for man and for woman in the covenant of marriage. And in the Garden of Eden, where nothing's hidden, it was perfect. It wasn't dirty. It wasn't gross. It wasn't shameful. Sex and sexuality was God's good gift to the human race. What was not good, when God said not good in creation, it was the lack of companionship for Adam. But sex was a good thing. God declared it as good. So that's the one riverbank. Sex, is physical intimacy is a good thing. It was a gift from God for man and woman in the covenant of marriage. However, we have to be aware that sex is a very powerful thing. Very powerful. Sex has, there's a great power in physical intimacy. And that's why it has to be given the appropriate boundaries, right? And the Apostle Paul does that in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17, when he says, But the person who is joined with the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Therefore, he says, run away from sexual sin. Whole another sermon for another day, okay? But let me just say one thing about this, all right? Everywhere else in the scriptures, when it comes to certain sins, we're told to fight temptation, stand and fight. In the area of sex, we are told to flee. Why? Because it's powerful and it's tempting to us. It's intimate, okay? And so Paul says you've got to flee from sexual sin because no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. By the way, this is the idea of the gospel, okay? So he's speaking to Christians, and he's saying, you've been bought with a price. The price is that your sin, as Nate just prayed, was paid for on the cross by our Savior, Jesus Christ. So you have been bought with a high price, which means you don't get to do whatever you want to do now as a believer. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and the overflow of, of righteousness that we should be pursuing in our sanctification is the overflow of worship to our God. God, because our, now, our hearts are now captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Ghost. Does that make sense? Or the Holy Spirit. And so the gospel, he reminds them of the gospel. You've been, you don't belong to yourself. Why? Because you were bought with a high price. So you must honor God with your bodies. I always look at this and I go, I don't know exactly what this verse means. I mean, I could unpack it. But I think part of what it means is there is a great power in physical intimacy. And that doesn't make it bad, it just we have to be aware that intimacy, sexual intimacy, can be fantastic in the right confines, but it can be incredibly destructive when it gets out of bounds because there's great power in physical intimacy. Does that make sense? And by the way, my small group was kind enough two weeks ago when you all got to pick on my quirks to remind me that I say, does that make sense all the time? So now I'm aware of it, and I'm trying to stop, okay? And it's very hard to break a habit. Does that make sense? Okay, so... 
That was the worst small group question ever. I'm so self-conscious now, all right? Uh, I liken sexual intimacy to fire. Is fire good or bad? I always like to hear people answer. Some say it's good, some say here's Here's my take, all right? We have a fireplace. It's not a wimpy fireplace. It's the real deal, all right? We don't flip a switch and have fire. We bring in paper and kindling and wood, and it's messy, and it smells bad, and I love it, all right? We probably burn a quart of wood every winter in the fireplace. I love fire, right? And that's our home, and we love it. We burn a lot of wood, man. It's just so enjoyable to sit by fire and watch it, all right? Is fire good or bad? It's great. I love it in my grill, with a couple T-bones over it, right? Fire's good. I don't want it running through my attic, all right? That's, that's bad, all right? And so I would say, is fire good or bad? It's, it's neat. It's, in some ways, it's kind of new. It's powerful, but it needs the proper confines to be good. And so, so the scriptures lays out for us, sex is a good thing. Physical intimacy is a good thing that God has given us, okay? But it needs the confines that God has has defined for us. That's why we just saying, holy, holy, God, you're the one that defines this stuff. You tell us what is right. You tell us what is good. You're the great I am. Your truths will stand firm for all eternity. And so those are kind of the riverbanks. The problem is our world and our flesh and the evil one is distorting God's truth. We do have enemies to our faith according to the scriptures. So because of that, there are distortions to God's design for sex and for sexuality, okay? So I'm going to define, I want to give you three this morning. I could, I could give you ten. I don't, I don't have time. But I want to give you three that are, I think, are hot buttons in our culture. And I want to give you a biblical worldview, a biblical perspective. The first thing is this. We're distor- we have to be careful of dis- being distorted in our thinking, all sexual distortions start in the mind. That's why we got to know the word of God and we have to ask when temptation comes or thinking comes, like, is this true? Has the great I am already defined this for us and, and, and now I need to adjust my thinking? Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7. He said, it's, your, it's the thought life that defiles you for... Within, for from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and wickedness and deceit, eagerness for lustful pleasure, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you and make you unacceptable to God. So the distortion when it comes to sex starts in the mind. When we begin to believe that sex is just a physical act, which I think stems all the way to our false understanding of a creator and all the way back to to the the theory of evolution that's being taught in our culture, your kids just evolved out of gelatinous muck, so therefore they're only going to do what their bodies are designed to do, right? Rather than understanding their we're created and we have a purpose and our sex and our sexuality has a purpose. And so we, you know, it, sex is more than just a physical act. It's about physical intimacy and oneness. 
designed between a, a husband and a wife. And to think about sex otherwise is to demean both the purpose and the person and the gift. Does that make sense? I did it again. I am not going to stop. Now that I've made you aware that I'm aware, this is going to get awkward for the rest of this sermon, all right? why pornography is a sin it's in the mind church there is not a week that goes by that myself or one of the pastors of this church are not dealing with the scourge of pornography it is shredding our culture shredding it this culture is going to fall apart from the inside out because of our lack of morality And what ticks me off, this is what ticks me off, okay? Don't tell me we don't, from a big picture standpoint, don't tell me we don't have the technology available to just get it off the internet. Garbage. But individually, okay, some of you right now are in the throes of that. I want to tell you something, God, and I know it's shameful and it's in the dark. And I want to encourage you that the gospel brings it to light and you can be free from that sin. I want you to be free from that sin, okay? It has long-term consequences that you don't even see right now, that I end up seeing in my office way down the road. And I just want to encourage you, man, it's in the mind. Jesus said that the sin of adultery starts in the mind, Matthew 5, right? If you look at a woman in lust, the sin of adultery starts in the mind. It's the same thing about murder. That's why the Apostle Paul says if you want to grow to be more like Christ, Romans 12, verse 1, you need to be transformed. How many of y'all know this verse? You need to be transformed by the renewing of your what? Our thinking has to be. That's why I'm preaching on this this morning. I want your worldview. I want you to understand what the scriptures say. I want you to change your thinking because the transformation, I believe, starts in how we think about things. So a distortion. Sexual immorality starts in the mind. That's a distortion. Second one is, is same-sex relationships. Same-sex relationships. It's a s- distortion of what God has called good. Now, a couple weeks ago, one of the things that's problematic to me on this issue is that the church is beginning to call same-sex relationships a good thing. So I'm not, again, I'm not preaching to them out there. I expect the world that aren't believers to do what the world does, which is to indulge in their sin. That's what all of us, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you say, yeah, that's who I was before the gospel got a hold of my heart, right? We're all changed by the gospel and the power of the Holy Ghost. But my problem is those who are calling themselves Christians and advocating same-sex relationships. It's not how the Bible defines, it's a distortion of what the Bible talks about with sex and sexuality. And now the church has not talked well about this, so I'm going to park here for a few minutes. I hope you can engage with me mentally, okay? Because we, we, need, we need to talk about this as a community. I talk, last week, I, a couple weeks, I'm sorry, the first week of the series, I called Tim Kaine to the carpet. By the way, you know, I know we're getting ready to vote. I haven't said a lot about the voting. You, as a Christian, you, you need to go into the voting booth with a Christian worldview. Now, this is, in my opinion, the most conflicting uh, election I've ever been a part of. I'm actually in the group of undecideds still, okay? And I'm still praying about it. Um, 
But, but, but as Christians, we should know, like, we can't vote for someone that's advocating same-sex relationships. So that rules out for me usually one party. Right out, it's just ruled out because my worldview goes with me into the voting booth. Okay. Jen Hatmaker. How many of y'all raise your hand? How many of you know Jen Hatmaker? I've actually quoted Jen Hatmaker from the pulpit. Okay. She uh, recently came out in an article called "The Politics of Jen Hatmaker." She was discussing same-sex relationships. She was being slippery on the topic as a Christian. She's a Christian conference speaker. Finally, the person asked them, because she was building out, she, she was hinting at the idea that two same-sex couples could be faithful in a, in a relationship, and God is good with that. Finally, the, the person asked, you mentioned faithfulness and God. Do you think the LGBT relationship can be, and this was the question, can be holy? Now, we just sang, holy, holy, holy is God, right? We sang that as a congregation. I want you to know what that means. It means God is set apart. He's without sin. He is righteous. He is true. His ways are right. His ways are always true. And Jen Hatmaker was asked, can a same-sex marriage be holy? Is God approve of it? Do you think that, Jen? And she says, I do. And she went on to define why she thought that was okay. I want to tell you something, church. When this happens, this is not a Christian response. This is a different gospel. Because a gospel without sin, as part of the definition, is no gospel at all. The gospel has everything to do with defining sin, repenting of sin, and believing in the person and work of Jesus as our declared righteousness. It's not be good. It's acknowledgement that I'm a sinner. Defining sin is God defines sin and saying, I need a savior. So Jen Hackmaker's response lets me know that that she is teaching a different gospel. And church, my thing is we, as a church, we got to define which churches are going to define sin as sin and which ones are going to begin to teach a different gospel. Jen Hackmaker's view is not biblical and it's unchristian. I'm not making any declarations over her soul. I'm simply saying it's a different gospel. I called out Tim Kaine a couple weeks ago. I'm calling out Jen Hatmaker now. Pastor Joey did an excellent job a couple weeks ago of defining what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. There's no gospel without a good definition of sin and the holy character of God. Now... Rosaria Butterfield responded to Jen Hatmaker, and it's just such an incredible response. I want to read it to you, okay? If you don't know who she is, she was an English professor at Syracuse University. She was a practicing lesbian, and she's now a convert to Christianity. And uh, she actually spoke here, okay? Uh, She was hosted by another church. Their air conditioning broke, and this summer we opened this building, and she spoke right here. Some of y'all remember that, all right? And... um, she responded to Jen Hatmaker because her and Jen used to do conferences together called the IF Conference. This is what she said. She said, today I hear Jen's words. Words meant to encourage, not to discourage. Words meant to build up and not tear down. Words meant to defend the marginalized, not broker unearned power. But then a thin trickle of sweat creeps down my back. Because if I were still in the thick of the battle over indwelling sin of lesbian desire, Jen's words would have put a millstone around my neck. She goes on to say, to be clear, I was not converted out of homosexuality. 
I was converted out of unbelief. It's very important. I didn't swap out a lifestyle. I died to a life I loved. Conversion to Christ made me face the question squarely. Did my lesbianism reflect who I am, which is what I believed in 1999, or did my lesbianism distort who I am through the fall of Adam? This was week two of distorted, by the way. I taught you guys this. This is where the rubber meets the road, right? I learned that through conversion that when something feels right and good and real and necessary but stands against God's word, this reveals, this is very important, the particular, uh, the particular way that Adam's sin marks my life. So I want to be clear this way. I'm not calling out a particular sin necessarily. What I'm saying is in Adam, we are all born into sins and every single one of us in this room, I believe, has a particular sin that we now wrestle with. Does that make sense? So she's saying, lesbianism was my particular sin. Our sin natures deceive us. Sin's deception is, isn't just out there. It's deep in the caverns of our hearts. She finishes with this. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling some pieces from the article. Rosaria Butterfield goes on to say, For when we advocate for the laws and policies that bless the relationships that God calls sin, this is, get this, we are acting as though we think ourselves more merciful than God. It's Rosaria Butterfield's response. I could show you multiple scriptures. I'm going to show you one, okay? Here's what the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I don't have time to explain that in the, I hope you, I'm, I'm preaching with some assumptions. You understand how we become righteous through the personal work of Christ, not through doing, okay? Do not be deceived. So he's describing those who will not enter the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. The Bible is abundantly clear that same-sex relationships is sin, now, here's what I want to make sure we have the proper handles, because here's where the church get. I told you I was going to take a few minutes here, and I really want to be clear, okay, because this is a topic that as Christians, we're not speaking into it very well, all right? So I want to make sure that we, we, have, we have the right handles. I hate right now that I'm picking out a particular sin. Is everybody clear on that? Because we all, the scriptures is, every, this is not the sin. Sin is an overflow of our sin nature. Every single one of us in this room has inherited the sin nature of Adam, which means we're in rebellion to the holiness of God. I'm not even talking this morning about other sexual deviations. I don't have time to look at them. Things like polygamy. By the way, that's the next one coming at us, church. We better have a good answer, Okay. And bestiality and pedophilia and sexual abuse. I'm not covering any of this. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're being actively sexually abused, you need to get help immediately. All right? Don't put it off. Your coastal's here to help you. Okay? There's no place for that in, in, in the journey of Christianity. Churches have huge blind spots. Churches love to call out the sin of homosexuality, but they don't like to preach against the, the sin of divorce. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm bracketing before I start in, okay? So you understand, I understand all these things. But there is a difference, here's the point I want to make. There's a difference scripturally between practicing homosexuality and the temptation of same-sex attraction, okay? 
We have to talk well about these things. In fact, the book of James gives us some great insight on the difference between temptation and sin. Here we go, James 1. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desires, when it conceives, gives birth to what, church? Gives birth to sin, right? And when sin, and sin, when it fully grows, gives birth to death. Okay, so the process is temptation, desires awaken, it get, and then, oh, I'm going to act on it. And the reason that as a church we've got to take a stand on sin, because the Bible says the wages of sin is what? So we don't want, if you really love someone, you don't want them on the path to death. You want them on the what? The path to what? Life. And so every time we give away sin, we're going, hey, it's okay. You're on the path to life, I guess. I mean, what could be worse than telling someone they're on the path to life when they're really on the path to death? And so the scripture, actually scriptures say this about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been what, church? What's it say? Tempted, but with what? Without? Do you see that there's a difference between temptation and sin? The Bible doesn't say temptation is sin. Temptation is something that we all face to disobey the holiness and righteousness of God. So how are we going to deal with homosexuality at Coastal? We're going to call it a sin just like any other sin that all of us battles. Every single one of us in this room battles a sexual distortion. I'm sure of that. And we're going to call all of those sin. But we are also going to recognize that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that recognize homosexuality, practicing homosexuality as a sin, struggle with the temptation of same-sex attraction, but are still brothers and sisters in Christ. Does that make sense? Those are the riverbanks. We're not going to call temptation the same thing as sin. And this is where the church has gotten confused. Because we're going to recognize that we all face temptation, yet we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, growing in sanctification, acknowledging, even when we trip up, we acknowledge, you know what, that's sin, and I'm growing through my process of sanctification through the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, through community to grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So let me get really specific. Ready? Here we go. Sitting in my notes. Whenever I go off my notes, uh uh-oh. Okay, here we go. Sometimes I get asked, Pastor, do you all allow homosexuals to be members? Church members. This is where we have to be wise in our definition. If they repent, so we would not allow practicing homosexuals to be that are okay and not calling homosexuality a sin to be members, but we would allow someone who says, you know what, I call it a sin, I'm repenting of my sin, I do struggle with the temptation of same-sex attraction, I acknowledge that as my temptation, but to honor Christ, I'm dying to self, and I'm pursuing Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And we have brothers and sisters in this body, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's their journey, and I praise God for them. Praise God for them. I'm thankful that if that's your journey, I'm so thankful you're here. I'm so thankful you found this to be your home church. I wanted, I'm going to take another rabbit trail this morning. Right in our backyard is the transgender debate. Yes? It's in the news. If you haven't heard, the Supreme Court 
about a week and a half ago, has decided to hear the Gavin Grimm case. If you're not familiar with the Gavin Grimm case, it's a, it's a young lady in Gloucester who identifies as a boy and has been requesting access to the boy's bathroom at school. Um, I'm not going to spend time this morning on discussing the debate over the bathroom. All right, I'm not going to spend time on that. I suspect, I want to prepare you, I suspect that the Supreme Court is going to rule in such a way that as a church we may have to deal with this, their ruling. Okay, so I suspect that's coming, but I, I don't know. But I do want to talk about people that wrestle with what's called gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is the idea that a person struggles with their physical gender and the feelings in their mind does not match up, okay? As, and, and so the answer here is much like that of same-sex attraction, okay? As Christians, we understand, okay, going back to Genesis 2, that God assigns our gender. That's not a mistake. God has purposes. And we understand that your physically assigned gender is a gift from the Creator. However, because of the fall, sin affects every part of our being. And so it makes sense that broken people in the line of Adam would struggle with same-sex attraction, would struggle with keeping their eyes on their spouse alone. It makes sense that broken people would struggle with gender dysphoria. And as Christians and as a church, we have to stop with the shocked face or the gross face. Because we, are de- we live in a world of fallen people. People that need to be set free. People that need a fresh start. People that... The Bible says are sinners, and every sinner needs a new identity, yes? And our identity needs to be found in Christ. So it doesn't surprise me that people struggle, struggle with gender identity. Sexual identity or internal feelings that tell us something different than what the Scriptures say. There are people in this room that are struggling with their identity over their abilities, There are people in this room struggling with their identity over their achievements or lack thereof. We all, because of sin, have an identity crisis. It's the message of the scriptures. And because of that, we need a new identity found in Christ alone. Galatians 3 says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like new clothes. There's no longer Jew or slave Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, don't push this too far. A lot of people take this verse and push it and say, Paul is saying that we can get rid of gender altogether. No, he's not saying that. This is theological that every person in this room is broken by sin and we're left to ourselves. We're going to pursue whatever identity we think we need to pursue. And no, we need to repent, believe in Jesus who gives us our new identity. Does that make sense? Now, uh, that's all I'm going to say about this this morning. I will tell you this on the back of your bulletin. Three fantastic resources. All right. Is God Anti-Gay by Sam Alberry? 
Washed and Waiting by Wesley Hill and Transgender by Vaughn Roberts. These are great books. They're easy reads and they're very articulate and insightful for us as a church. You literally can read them in one evening, okay? Uh, I have a couple copies of these. If you want to find me after the service, I don't have all of them, but I do have some of them. I'd be more than happy to give them to you. So, distortion, all right? Same-sex relationships. Number three, another distortion. Sex outside the covenant of marriage. Any sex outside the covenant of marriage. Hebrews 13.4. Let, mar- let marriage be held in honor among all. Let marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. I preached on this this past summer out of Hebrews. Pastor Andrew did a great job last week. Here's the bottom line. All right, If before you're married, you're sleeping around with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you are in sin. You're violating God's design. In fact, I always love when I, you know, if I'm counseling someone, I say, are you, are you sleeping together? Yes. Is it God's will for you to get married? Yes. How do you know? My question is, how do you know you're already out of God's will? Right? It's God's design. Extramarital affairs is sin. God has designed sex and sexuality to be in the confines of marriage. So maybe you're here this morning and you've already broken it. You're like, man, I'm already in sin. What does that mean? Pastor John, I'm being convicted. You're, you're preaching on stuff and I'm feeling the weight of conviction. I've got great news for you, okay? The, new, the great news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all sinners. When we repent of our sins and we believe in the person and work of Christ, we get justified, which means the righteousness of Jesus is declared over us and we get a fresh start. Coastal Community Church is not and never will be a place where followers of Jesus wear a scarlet letter, all right? Because we all have to wear the scarlet letter. The gospel is it's a fresh start in Christ. So if as I was preaching through some of these distortions, you go, that's me, and you want a fresh start, repent of your sins, trust Jesus, walk in, in safe community with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and get a fresh start. Don't wear a scarlet letter around here. And then an overflow of worship, of justification, is to walk in obedience. And here's why we do that. This is very important. Because we believe that, remember when Rosaria Butterfield said, my sin was unbelief. Why is that important? We struggle with believing that God's way is best. That God knows best. And God knows best for us. God knows the best path for us to walk and have real life, the abundant life. It's unbelief. And so as an overflow of the gospel, we walk in obedience because we believe that God knows best. So let's finish with this. Ready? Let's talk about sex as God intended. Let's get to the good stuff. All right, here we go. Ready? Sex as God intended. He intended for us to pursue holiness in the area of sexuality. What did God intended for us to pursue holiness in the area of sexuality. First Thessalonians 4. God wants you to be holy. So keep clear from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control your own body and live in holiness and honor, not in the lustful passions as the pagans do in their ignorance of God and his ways. Never cheat a brother, Christian brother, in this manner by taking his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to be holy, not to live impure lives. Anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human rules, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I have a Bible in my office that I had as a young boy. It was my kind of the Bible that God really used to change my life as a teenager. I 
ate it up, man. I just devoured it, and I read it, and I marked it up, and I highlighted it. One of the things I have written in my Bible here, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, never cheat a brother or sister by taking his wife. One of the things the Lord impressed upon my thinking at a young age was, even when I'm single, I could cheat a brother or sister in Christ if I had sex with somebody else's wife, even though she's not married yet. Does that make sense? And I began to realize when I'm out on a date, I want to live in holiness because the girl I'm out on a date with may not be my wife. She may belong to my friend, and I want to make sure that I can hand her to my friend and she be holy and pure. Does that make sense? God's will for us with sex sexuality is to walk in holiness, set-apartness. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Walk in holiness. Number two, if you're married, ready? If you're married, stop the abstinence. Only one person thinks that's good. That's good. I told you the Bible ain't prudish on this stuff. All right, here we go. Let's get to the fun stuff. If you're married, stop the abstinence. First Corinthians 7. Husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband also gives authority over his body to the wife. So do not deprive each other of sexual relations. The only exception to this rule would be the agreement of both husband and wife to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that they can give themselves completely to prayer. Afterwards, they should come back together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt them because of their lack of self-control. Good stuff, isn't it? I told you this wasn't prudish. I think the point Paul's making is we should have sex and more of it inside the confines of marriage. Now, I want to be clear that marriage is about oneness, right? So ultimately, this is about meeting one another's needs, which is more than just sex, right? There's other needs that need to be met in marriage. My... uh, I debated about sharing this, but I, I will. Uh, if you guys tell my parents, I'll deny I said it. Okay, so here we go. Ready? Um, so it's a two-part story. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents had this five-gallon glass jar on their fireplace mantle that they put pennies in. They saved pennies for years, right? And they filled this. This thing was filled. Over the time, it got filled, and it was super heavy. I don't, I don't know if it's still there or not, you know, but uh, I'll have to look when I go home for uh, Thanksgiving. But, um, you know, just heavy and filled with pennies. And so when I got to college, okay, me and my friends had this joke, okay? It's an inappropriate joke, but here we go. Ready? Don't fire me. Uh, we said, the rumor is... That in your first year of marriage, if you put a penny in a jar every time you have sex, and then after your first year of marriage, the rest of your married life, if you take a penny out of the jar, every time you have sex after the first year of marriage, you'll never empty the jar. That was what we said in college. You can imagine my college buddy's delight when they came home and saw a five-gallon jar filled with pennies. Right? And they were like, man, your parents, you know, and it was super awkward for me, you know, big drought after the first year, you know, but whoo, great first year. (laughs) 
God does not intend for our marriages to be an experiment in abstinence. Okay? God intended sex, sexual intimacy, to be a good thing shared between a husband and wife. Sex is not a weapon to get back at your spouse. Abstinence is not honorable in marriage. Sex is a mutual respect that requires both spouses to meet one another's needs. If you're struggling in that area, maybe, it could be, that you haven't figured out how to meet one another's needs. I have a fantastic book on my shelf, okay? I've actually got extras. If you come up to me afterwards and you say, I promise me and my wife will read this book together, I will give it to you, okay? I've got a book called His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. It's a fantastic book. It's very practical. How do I get to know my spouse's needs? How do I meet them so that we have oneness in marriage, okay? Uh, I will give you that if you'll read it together. The second piece of this, okay, not only does Paul say we should have sex and more of it, but we should be praying together. All right, that's the prayer team leader right there, okay? So I can almost guarantee you if you're not having a lot of sexual intimacy, you're probably not praying much together either. All right, there's something very intimate about praying together, holding your spouse's hand. Hey, what do you want to pray about? Let's pray together. Paul says these are the two things. That bring a lot of intimacy, and they're great. So some of you men who probably, I know this is a gross generalization, okay, uh, but some of you men are like, yeah, you know, she's probably, she can elbow you now and say, we haven't prayed together in a long time. So go home tonight, grab your spouse's hand, pray. I want to finish with this. Here's what I want to see out of Coastal Community Church. I want to see a biblical sexual revolution. Because this is an area that we, the church has distorted Here's what I mean by that. I want to see our marriages be biblical and sexually healthy. I want to see our singles who desire to get married to keep their virginity as a gift to be given on their wedding night. I want to see the singles who desire to be single to give more time to serving God as the Apostle Paul said. I want to see parents who are raising our kids with the expectation of purity. Man, I'm going to tell you something. I see this. Some, I'm not a big Facebooker. There's times I, I go on Facebook and I see men with their boys at Hooters. Like, what are you doing? You've got to be actively involved when they're on the internet, parents. You've got to be intentional when they go, hey, I'm going over so-and-so's house to spend the night. You better, as a parent, know a whole lot about so-and-so. And you better call so-and-so and talk about things like the internet. What are they watching? What are they doing? Let me tell you something. Parenting is hard. And it's not for the weak and it's not for the lazy. I want to see Christians that are overcoming the sin and the shame of pornography addiction and be free and know the freedom of the gospel. I want to see married couples functioning as one as God intended. I want to see us seeing our spouses as gifts from God who shape us in holiness. Seeing couples praying together and sexually intimate together till death do us part. 
want Coastal to be a church that's welcoming no matter a person's starting place so that they can know the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a church that compromises on the truth, but a church where anybody can find the hope of the gospel. So that a practicing homosexual can come in here and find Jesus and be free from sin. So that a person struggling with gender dysphoria can come in here and know the one who gives them a new identity, Jesus Christ. So that the couple living together can come in here and find Jesus Christ and be free from sin. So that a person struggling with pornography can find Christ and be free. Repentance and faith is for all. Church, let's raise the standard. Let's honor God with this incredible gift that he has given us called both sex and sexuality. And use it as he intended and so that we can be restored to his original design. Not the design of our making, the design as our creator made it so that we can worship our God, our creator, as a result of the gospel of Jesus, restoring our identity to look more and more like God's son, Jesus Christ. That's my hope and that's my prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I know this is an uncomfortable topic, God. I pray for anybody in this room that's struggling with the distortion of the truth around sex and sexuality. I pray that Coastal is a place that they find love and acceptance as a human being. Because every single one of us is broken. God, I pray that every person in this room will find the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the power of his spirit indwells us and molds us more and more into the image of our Savior. And Father, I want to pray for the scourge of pornography, God. I pray that all of us in this room that are Christians would say, you know what, enough's enough. I'm going to be free today. I'm going to to get some help. I'm going to get some accountability because I want to honor the Lord. I want to pray for the one in this room that is struggling with an identity crisis, a gender identity crisis, God. I pray that they would recognize their brokenness, recognize that at Coastal we recognize everyone is broken, and find their hope in their Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray for the ones in this room that are dating and, and maybe thinking about marriage, and they've been having sex before marriage, that today they would say, you know what, we, we want to do it God's way. We want to build a home and a foundation God's way. So today, we're going to turn from sin and we're going to pursue the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for the marriages that are struggling, God, that there would be a renewed movement of prayer in our homes and physical intimacy. So that we would honor one another, we would look at our spouse and say, you know what, God brought you to me to make me more like Jesus. Not for you to make me happy, but for me to be holy. I pray, God, that there would be a biblical sexual revolution in our culture. We need it, God. I ask these things in Jesus' name.